5: Welcome to episode 199 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation, New York Met site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore, and thank you for joining me, as always, this week on the podcast. So first, some news. And this is neither good news nor bad news, just news. We are not going to be able to do our live show this coming Saturday. We have postponed it until Saturday, October 1st. We've done this for a couple of reasons. The first is that well, we could have put on a show this weekend, we felt that it was a bit of a rush, and we didn't know if we could put on the quality of show we were hoping to put on for uh, this live event. So we're going to push it back a few weeks to do something really special. Uh, it'll be happening at noon. We, uh, we think we have a venue. It's not been officially confirmed yet, but I will say it's in Manhattan. So um, noon, October 1st in Manhattan will be the next Amazing Avenue audio live show. Uh, we're trying to get some really special things to happen at this show. I can't say yet. I, I have one really wild idea I'm going to try for, and we'll see if that happens. Uh, what's good about that is that if it is the, uh, you know, if, if it's a situation where the Mets are making a playoff run, it could be a really exciting show. If that's not the case, we can also do a funeral for the season, as Chris called it in our text this morning. So it'll be a really fun show. Um, October 1st at noon and, uh, the Mets are playing in Philly that weekend. So maybe we'll even get a little road trip going up down to Philly if, uh, if it looks like it's going to be an important game. So we'll see. It'll be a lot of fun. I promise. But until then you have a couple of more episodes of plain old amazing Avenue audio to get you through the rest of this Mets season. So first up I chat with Chris McShane about the, uh, Sort of unusual place the Mets find themselves in at this point in the season. Well, Chris, we are recording this on Tuesday evening. The Mets just completed their first three-game winning streak since July 4th and uh, taking the Cardinals down 7-4. to And despite people like me talking about how the season might be over for the Mets... It seems like uh, your folk, the it's not over yet folk, might be actually having a point right about now. Um, now, when we spoke last week, we were obviously not super optimistic about all things Mets. Since then, Stephen Matz has hit the disabled list. Jacob deGrom had it the worst start of his career. Um, what else happened? Hmm. Wasn't there another injury of some sort? Probably. (laughs) (laughs) It's an everyday injury of some sort. But anyway, uh, how are you feeling about the the overall state of the Mets right now? Do you think that uh, things look better today with the return of Cespedes and Cabrera, even with the loss of Mats, hopefully just for a start or two, and Nice for an undetermined amount of time? Do you feel like the Mets are in a better place right now than they were a couple weeks ago?
0: Yeah, I think so overall. I think part of it helps hearing, at least initially, that they don't expect Matt will be gone for too long. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'm sure there are some people who will think he's being rushed back or not be happy about it. But if there's a chance he makes his next turn in the rotation, then, you know, that's not really a super long term thing to have to worry about. If John Neese is hurt, um, you know, he left tonight's game because of his knee. Uh, as we record, I assume he will go on the disabled list just because it really didn't look like he could pitch, and every game just means so much right now. Um, but, yeah, it, that, you know, the drop-off from these two, whether it's gazelleman or Lugo, whoever you you know end up saying is filling in for his spot in rotation, and right now it would be Gazelman, obviously, just based on scheduling. Uh, it, it might not even be a drop-off. It might be... <laughs> It might be an
5: upgrade um, just because he's been that bad this year. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, we had debated whether to talk much about Nice starting tonight's game. We decided it wasn't really worth it. But, you know, just Nice being the Mets' option to start tonight, to start any game, really, just shows how poorly this season has gone for Mets starting pitching health. You know, the fact that Harvey is out for the year. The fact that Wheeler is not going to pitch in 2016, it looks like. The fact that, um, you know, just, just nothing has gone exactly the Mets way pitching health-wise. So, you know, you had, initially, you had Logan Verrett replacing Harvey. Then you had Nice replacing Verrett. And now you seemingly have Gazelman Replacing, uh, Nice, as well as you have at least for the moment Seth Lugo replacing, Mats. It's um, you know this is not the Mets did not envision their starting five to look like this earlier this season, but the you know they're, they're they st- they're still not that far out of the wild card race though.
0: Right. So at the moment, they're three and a half out of the second wild card, uh, five out of the first. I think that it could be worth mentioning, you know, the Giants, who they split the series with over the weekend, have been worse than the Mets since the All-Star break, Mm -hmm. believe it or not. And they had been in a really good place, but that has sort of brought them back down into a point where, you know, they, they could be picked off in the wild card. So, I mean, right now the Mets need to continue... Gaining ground, which for a couple of weeks, it kind of felt like they were just treading water. You know, they, they were remaining relevant, but they just couldn't pick anything up. Um, the focus has to be on completing the series well against the Cardinals and then taking advantage of the fact that the Phillies are their opponent this weekend and, you know, going and at least winning the series again uh, early next week against the Marlins. So, I don't I don't want to talk first wild card specifically for the Mets, but, but man, if like if the Giants continue the way they've been, it it could very well be in play. Uh and I think that's encouraging and you know, nobody else has really taken off. Uh, St. Louis had a, a nice little stretch. that got them into the second wild card spot, but they're still, you know,
5: they they haven't run away with it. No, and the Cardinals and the Marlins are very hurt right now, as are the Mets. But, but the Mets injuries right now, like you know, the, there are the two different classifications of Mets injuries. There's the Harvey Wheeler Duda injuries, and then there's the Mats, um, you know, the the, the short term. Hopefully, we'll see them back in a couple of weeks. Type injuries. If the Mets can get relatively healthy, you know, by the uh, by the first couple of days of September, you know you're looking at a reasonably strong rotation. You're looking at, I mean, Cespedes came off the DL, hitting the cover off the ball, and you hope that that will continue. If Bruce can just get the slightest bit hot, it there's a lot easier <laughs> of a path for the Mets to get to the wild card.
0: Yeah, if Jay Bruce could just not be terrible.
5: He could just not be a vortex of of, uh, of poor playing right now. He, it would be really, really nice. Yeah,
0: it's, I mean, it's kind of funny that at least part of the reason why they traded it for him was that they didn't like what they were seeing from Conforto this year.
5: Right, and he's and in AAA it. destroying the ball right now.
0: He is, he is, and, and he's a whole different topic. But, you know, you would think if he had been succeeding to the point uh anywhere near as well that, that he did last year.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, maybe they don't even think of trading for Bruce because they essentially have a better version of him already in house. Right. But since Bruce was traded for, as Conforto has struggled over the last few months and spent, you know, a chunk of time now twice in the minors, um Bruce has basically matched Conforto since the beginning of May. <laughs> You know, it's a five something OPS, and that's not. that shouldn't it, play. That's not acceptable at any position. Uh, if it, you know, except pitcher. But if it starts with the five,
5: that's uh, not good. No. So let's talk September for a minute here, because if the Mets are going to make a run at this, they're going to have to do so in the month of September. Rosters will expand. Who do you see the Mets offensively calling up? In September to help a little bit, offensively.
0: Well, I'm going to keep if I'm keeping the the dream alive in general. I'm mm-hmm. keeping the Juan Uribe dream alive. <laughs> He's still out there. I don't know why. I don't know what he did wrong. I know his numbers weren't that great this year, but. But I
5: you know. mean, if you don't add Uribe by Wednesday, you can't use him in the postseason.
0: Right. Well, except for like the weird there's some loopholes and stuff, but yeah, for for basic purposes that that would need to happen. It's sort of a spot where I don't know. If you can't fit him on a 40-man roster for a team that's trying to like cling to wildcard contention. Yeah. Um but even if he's not involved, uh you know, assuming health generally you know, I think you have Ty Kelly and T.J. Rivera will both be here. Um, who else? Do you see both Conforto and Nimmo returning? Yeah, I mean, I would and, – and we touched on this a little bit last week. But, I, yeah, I would, I would say bring them all up, you know. I mean, given the records the affiliates have, first of all, <laughs> that whatever the affiliates are doing in their playoffs does not matter. So there's that, but even with where they actually are this year, that might not even matter at all. Like it, it might be just, hey, it's September 1st, and you know these three or four guys aren't going to play the last two games of the Las Vegas 51 season. You know that (laughs) it's not consequential. So yeah, I would I would have Rivera. I mean, I'm I'm advocating carrying 40 players. (laughs) You know, the flights might be a little crowded, but I'd rather have them all there for in case there's a 20 inning game that makes it, you know, right. That you could have a position player hit and an actual pitcher pitch for the entirety of the game.
5: <laughs> uh, hey, talk you know, crazy the, the, talk. Yeah. No, That's I agree. Okay. I agree. Use all 40.
0: Right. Yeah, no. Just call them all up. But but yeah, I I would think position player wise, Kelly and Rivera showed something recently. Nimmo didn't tear the cover off the ball, but sort of held his own uh, for the most part. I mean, I think his overall line isn't fantastic, but you know, he he looked like he could play the part. Um, so yeah, I I'd, I'd say Nimo, Conforto, Kelly, Rivera. And maybe another catcher just because that's what you do. Right. Yeah, you can bring up Plawecki as your emergency catcher so you can more comfortably pinch
5: hit with whichever catcher didn't start that day. Right. Or even using Plewaki to pinch hit, which, you know, is not the smartest thing that Terry Collins could do, but I have long since given up for Terry Collins to do the smartest thing he can do. So we'll see about that. Yeah. Uh what about on the on the pitching side? Anybody that's standing out to you as a uh a likely call up besides, you know, Yanoah and uh maybe Edgen. Anybody else jump out?
0: Right. Uh, those two I would certainly give Gil Martin the call. Yeah, probably. You know, he had he he succeeded last year mostly in low leverage spots, but still in the majors. Um, you know, not that you totally write off what's happened this year, but I would put more stock into what he did as a major league pitcher than what he's done in Las Vegas. Um, you know, not that that makes him great, but uh, Gil Martin, you mentioned Edgin and y- Yanoa um, and then I think, you know, Varek could come back if he didn't write his ticket to. <laughs> not coming back by sort of making some noise about the potential injury, about which we've heard nothing since last week. Yeah. By the way, just just the thought. <laughs> um, but, yeah, Verrett and Goodell are the other two who, you know, might not be that exciting, um, but they've been around. You know, Varette certainly fared better out of the bullpen than he did in the rotation, and Goodell had been doing well until all of a sudden he wasn't. Right. So yeah, I I could see that. So, although I said use all forty, what's that? Five pitchers and four position players. Yeah, or five five of each if we include Plawecki.
5: That's true. Yeah.
0: So that that's that's thirty five. That's uh, it's pretty close.
5: Yeah, and then if you sign your rebate, thirty six. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all for that. Those that sounds like a good plan to me. Um. Who, who would we cut from
0: the 40 for
5: Uribe? Let's see. Or is it necessary? I, mean, I have my answer you're not going to like. My answer is Deaza. That's an option. Because especially if you're going into the rest of the season with the idea that you've got to be an offensive first team, I don't know if Deaza necessarily has a role in that team. Especially as he's not gonna be a center fielder and we're forgetting that Juan Lagares might be coming back.
0: Right. That is some,
5: definitely possible. At some point too, and so if that's the case, then you really have no use for uh for De I I hear you.
0: I'm uh, I'm cutting Campbell from the forty for Oh
5: Campbell's on the forty? Oh yeah, he fuck it. Get rid of him, yeah. Sorry, soup. <laughs>
0: I think uh, if you need a spot on the 40, not that your argument doesn't – and I am a day as a defender, but um, not that your argument doesn't have some substance to it, but, yeah, if you need two spots on the 40. Yeah. (laughs) But, yeah, Campbell, I mean,
5: come on, you know? I, I honestly forgot he was on the 40. Yeah. I think he forgot he's in the forty. <laughs> it's been uh, it hasn't been a great year for him. Um, okay, well, so what what do you see the Mets having to do in the next few days? So it, when people are hearing this, the series with St. Louis will be more or less wrapped up, and then we have Philadelphia and the Marlins. Do you think that this is a situation where? if the Mets, is there a number that the Mets have to win for them to still consider themselves in this at this time next week? Or do you think that it's, there's still enough time that even if they somehow lost the next eight games, they would still be in the race.
0: Uh, no, not if they lose all of the eight.
5: (laughs) So what's the number for you?
0: Uh, I think winning all three series. So that's six. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's enough. I think seven out of the nine would be, would really sort of be enough because, you know, they won the last two in San Francisco. So seven out of nine makes for nine wins in their last 11 games. Uh, It's not quite what the Royals have done recently, but it would be enough for me to say, not just for me to say, but for them to actually be either in or within a game or two of a wild card spot. Uh, so, yeah, uh, that that's the key to me. You know, if, if by the time you're hearing this, they've either won the series or swept the series against the Cardinals, um, you can, you know, maybe lower the bar a little bit. The Phillies are a team that, while they have that promising future in the works, they're still the Phillies right now. <laughs> um. So, you know, it, You'd hate to lose a game to them because you should be beating them, but if you lose to them, they have no. It you know it's not like the the three against the Cardinals and the three against the Marlins where each game is a major swing in right. the wild card standings. If you lose one game to the Phillies, but you beat the Cardinals and Marlins, you know, say you sweep both of them, uh, that one loss to the Phillies doesn't really matter that much, right? But yeah, yeah. It, I would love seven. Seven would make me feel pretty good. Um, But six would be okay. I think anything less than six, then you're really starting to look at, okay, you know, what kind of help can they get? How much time is left? That kind of thing. Um, And their September schedule is really, really light. Yeah. Like really light. Aside from the Nationals games, they play the Nationals six times, and they play the Marlins three times. Those are the only challenging teams in terms of what they've done in the 2016 season on a, as a you know on the whole. Right. That's it. Uh, the rest of the month of September, they played terrible, terrible teams, including the Twins, and a whole lot of Phillies and Braves.
5: I guess the counter-argument here is I don't know what the strength of seg- schedule is for all the other card teams.
0: Yeah. I think with based on the general structure of it, I think it's very division-heavy. Mm-hmm. So just the way it broke down, especially looking at what the Mets are doing, without specifically looking at all of the other ones, I imagine the... Well, I should look this up. Mm-hmm. But the, the Cardinals and Pirates probably play each other a decent amount.
5: Yeah, I would presume that as well.
0: Um, and then, obviously, the Marlins have the Nationals and the Mets um, if the division schedule lines up for them like it does for the rest of the division. So, you know, you can't... Baseball's weird. You know, the Mets got swept by the Braves earlier this season. You you can't predict the outcome, or or you can't be sure of the outcome just based on strength of schedule. But I will always take the... Odds of beating the terrible teams over the really good ones. Those are good odds to take. Yeah, I I, I know it's crazy, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, the the Cardinals and Pirates play each other. Let's see in September, three games early in the month, and the last three games of the season.
5: Okay, that could be an interesting season series to watch at the end of the season.
0: Yeah, and then. The Mets the Mets last weekend of the regular season is in Philly. And let's see, the Marlins. Because of the way that they developed the schedule this year, I imagine it fits right in. But let's just double check. The Marlins go to Cleveland. That's not that's no picnic. That is no picnic. They get the Dodgers. Uh, and then they have Aside from the Mets series, they have six against the Nationals, which the Mets also do, but their last three games of the season are against the Nationals. Okay. Now, barring anything crazy, by that point, the Nationals will have the division wrapped up. Right. Uh, over Miami and the Mets. You know, if they go and lose 10 games in a row, then we can re- happily revisit that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, even a Nationals team that might not have much left to play for at that point, that, that's still a little more intimidating than a Phillies team on the last three days of its season. Absolutely. So it's, it's there, you know? And, it, and they're not the favorites. And I I I wouldn't say that they are, but I don't know. The opportunity is there.
5: I think that's what's so frustrating about watching the team the last month is just to think about, All the terrible teams they didn't destroy. You know, last year's team, for what you can say about them, in a lot of ways, they were not a perfect team. But they beat up on those second division teams really, really effectively. And if this year's team had done that just a little bit more, we could be in a position where we're talking about holding on to that last wild card spot or being a couple games out. You have to figure... The Mets should have won four or five games this summer that they lost against those terrible teams, if not considerably more.
0: Right. And this sort of thing, I I hate to say it because I always hate to hear it, but if you flip their record against the Diamondbacks, mm-hmm. they're in a wild card spot now. Yeah. You know, and it, it's it's never quite that simple, but just sort of is it. You know, that that's a objectively bad team.
5: <laughs> yeah.
0: And they went one and five against them. You know, that that sort of thing. If they fall short of the wild card game, that's the sort of series or the back, you know, two series in back-to-back weeks that you'd really, really be annoyed at.
5: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we say this every single week, but hopefully by the time we speak next week, this will be more clear. I was talking to a friend of mine this weekend about um the mets in general and i was saying that one of the hardest things about being a, a fan of any team is when your team is in this limbo where there's it's seemingly a 50 50 shot of them making the postseason or not and all you want to do is know whether or not you're going to be sweating september out and then i welcome sweating september out but it's worse to be sweating if you're going to be sweating. So, Like, you know, I'm worried about if I'm going to be sweating it out. And I wish I just had an answer one way or the other right now.
0: Yeah, that, that makes sense.
5: But we're also, you know, we're pretty spoiled right now. You figure if uh, if two seasons ago you asked us, you know, would you be happy if the Mets were this close to a wild card spot? I think we'd probably both say yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it, it, they're still playing baseball games that matter. Mhm. Which I don't know, might not sound like much of a consolation coming off a World Series appearance, but <laughs> but it is true. I mean the Royals are playing meaningful games as well. Right. And the Royals have one extra team between them and the second wild card and they're similarly back um you know, I'd have to double check exactly given the outcomes of tonight's games. But, you know, they're they're in a similar spot in terms of distance from that uh, wild-card spot as the Mets are.
5: This would be the first season in quite some time. I'm not looking it up, so I can't do this. I can't give you perfect assurance here. But I think it will be the first season in quite some time that it's possible that both World Series Appearances, you know, both both teams from last year didn't make the playoffs this year,
0: right? Well, yeah, that's
5: certainly possible in both cases. So hopefully, it's not the case though. Yeah, but anyway, we have an email, Chris. This we came do. in just under the wire to miss out on last week's show, so um, it is from Tom, and he uh, he asks us if. Uh, we can bring back the Amazing Avenue voicemail. We still have that, don't we? We do. Do you have the number handy? Uh, because I don't. Go- Google night. <laughs> we should really have this handy.
0: We should. But for while you wait, you can email us at
5: podcast at com. That is true. You can do that. You should do that. Uh, anyway, let, let's get to Tom's question and we'll deal with the, uh, with the voicemail in a second. He's been trying to stay optimistic about the 2016 season, and uh, much like you, he feels we can still make a run of the postseason via the wild card. But he's had this creeping feeling in the back of his mind telling him that that we're going to fall short. So here's where I will start reading in the first person. This is Tom's email verbatim. I'm hopeful that with Reyes back with the team and hopefully the fast return of Cespedes and Cabrera, we might still have some fight left in the team. My concern is, did the team possibly rush everybody back in hopes of making the postseason? Did Do they all tweak their injuries and end up right on the DL, or worse, an injury purgatory and leave the team playing with a shortened roster? Are we now in the midst of a new 7 08 years, meaning that after finally making an appearance in the postseason after so long that we might fail to make it again while coming close each time? Possibly with the Marlins going to play the role of spoiler again? Then does ownership blow it up and start from scratch again, or are we built to contend longer than the 06 team was? Do you see any parallels between 06 or '07, and then the '15, '16, possibly future '17 teams of now? I'm hoping that I'm just worrying over nothing and I'm just feeling down because of the losses, because of four losses to the Diamondbacks. Maybe we will luck out and the Mets will make it to the postseason via the wild card and then go on a run like the 2014 San Francisco Giants. Well, one can always hope. Um, so, what do you think, Did, Are there similarities between the 06 team and the 2015 team? That might bleed over to calling this the next O seven team.
0: Hmm. I mean, I I, I get it. I mean, the, that that's sort of the obvious parallel, right? Um, getting deep into the playoffs and then failing to make it—that would be a very easy comparison to make. I don't think there's as much of a an effect on next year. Um, you know, I mean, this season has been a good lesson in not assuming everybody will be healthy. But if we could assume perhaps that they will be more healthy <laughs> than this year, uh, yeah, a lot has to do with, you know, what ends up happening with Cespedes, um, you know, whether or not David Wright can get back on the field and if so, you know, for how long or how frequently and then. You know what they do with the position, otherwise, um, so there's definitely some variables that that I don't think are going to be known until next season actually happens. But but yeah, I don't I don't see. It. I mean, it's kind of a tough question in a way because like the O seven and 08 teams were good, and then they they came up just short in back to back years. So. I mean, that possibility is there,
5: and hey, people um, were still picking the Mets to get the playoffs as late as twenty ten too,
0: yeah, oh yeah, I mean even two
5: thousand nine they were weren't they like favorite in two thousand nine I believe so, and then in twenty ten some e s p n uh con artist had them go to the world Series, i remember uh-huh. in a in preseason rankings um so yeah i
0: i would i I don't think that they're going into like, several years of missing the playoffs, especially because so much of the rotation is still under control for a while. Um, And again, they might not all be healthy at the same time, but they're all locked up, uh, you know, for a while. Even Harvey's got two years after this year. Yeah. And then everybody else is longer, so...
5: Yeah, I definitely see the the parallel, and I definitely understand the fear there. But I think that... (laughs) The collapses in 07 or in 08, in a way, you can't account for them ever happening again. Like, it was just such bad. <laughs> so many things went wrong at the exact wrong time, both those years in a row. You know, um, I've probably told this story on the podcast before, but the day I got married was the second to last day of the 07 season. and. Yes. I was waiting, like, in the back of the church to walk out to get married. My brother-in-law popped in to say that John Mayne was pitching a no-hitter. And, you know, he obviously didn't, didn't get the no-hitter that day. But if one game went differently that whole season, the Mets make the playoffs. The next year, you know, the day, the Sunday last day of the season, Johan goes out and shoves and does pitches one of the best games I've ever watched on television or in person in my entire life. And then again, if they had won one other game that season, they'd have made the playoffs. You, 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 you can't predict that sort of stuff. You can't you can't possibly say that the Mets are going to be even three games away from a playoff spot the next couple of years, because there's just so many variables. What I think the Mets have going for them this time, they didn't have going for them last time, is there is legitimate pitching in the pipeline. The net, you know, like the young pitchers are not going anyplace unless the Mets choose to have them go someplace, right? The, they didn't have this plethora of young pitching in 06. You know, you know, uh, no, they certainly did not. You know, the 06 rotation was, was Pedro, Glavin,
0: El Duque, El
5: Duque, Traxel, and Main and Perez, and Main and Perez. Yeah, you know, one of those guys, Main, was a Met prospect. And didn't he come over from the Orioles, was it? Yeah, yeah, he was in the uh, Chris Benson trade. Yeah, yeah, so he wasn't, you know, he wasn't a drafted player, you know. And the Mets, obviously, I mean, they had Wright and they had Reyes, who were young, homegrown players, and they made, you know, they, they signed Beltran, and they made the trade for Delgado. Like, there was plenty of talent there, but with the exception of, of maybe Beltran, Wright, and Reyes, I don't know if anybody was considered a long-term solution. Am I forgetting right. somebody?
0: Mm, from that time? oh six, 06. Right, yeah. Maybe Delgado? So. Yeah, well, I mean, he still had, what, three years left when they traded for him? Yeah. And if not for the hip injury, he might have made a Hall of Fame case for himself just by getting the 500 home runs.
5: Right. Um, but, Yeah. there just there wasn't it was a it, you know I know we all love the hashtag omar's team conversations yeah but but Omar's team was constructed to win right now, and sandy's teams while there have certainly been the there's some the moves made to win today or tomorrow the the future was never mortgaged the way Omar mortgaged the future. And so I think you can't really compare the 06 team and the 15 team because the 15 team still had players in the pipeline like Nimmo, like Rosario, like, um, you know, to a certain degree, Conforto, even though he was on the Major the grass at the time. There were all these players we could still be dreaming on. And, you know, it just it feels like the Mets... In a position where, unless the Wilpons go back to their pre twenty fifteen ways and stop spending, the Mets don't have to necessarily give up any of their top position players or top pitching prospects right now, and they could still add to the team for next season. That that hasn't been a reality in a long time. Uh, And if they do choose to trade one of their young starting pitchers, they could probably get quite the haul back for them. So you know, there there are reasons to be positive. For the future, even though this year's been bad, and that's not even including all the injuries. And this has been a freak year of injuries.
0: Yeah. Um, even the small ones. I mean, obviously the big ones have been the most significant. Uh they've happened to some of the better players on the team, and they've been very long term with Harvey, Duda, and Wright. Uh
5: but there's been plenty of other ones along the way. Mats has lots of has had lots of nagging injuries. Cabrera was out. Cespedes was out. Reggiano who hit the longest Met home run in the Statcast era tonight, are yep. you are you aware of that? Yes, that's a crazy the, thing.
0: Yeah, it, I get it. I know Statcast is probably right, but there are some home runs in it that I'm just like, man, I don't know. Yeah, like that like I I know that there's the angle of it and the velocity of it, and you know, you you take those two things and you can sort of figure out where it might land. Uh, with some other things thrown into the mix. But there are some that, like, they just look like that can't possibly be either that long or that short. Right. I agree. I, like, if anything, I maybe it's just that, like, the old way of estimating home run distance was exaggerating. Right. And now we're just sort of brought back into reality where, you know, anything over 450 feet is, you know, very, very long.
5: Right.
0: and you think about it, and it's like it's not. It's not that far over the average center center field fence. Right. But for instance, the home run Cespedes hit into the upper deck right. it was not one of his longer home runs, and I, I don't know. Like it was still that high when it got that far. Yeah. I don't. I don't know how that doesn't end up as far as
5: Justin Ruggiano's home run to center field tonight. Right. No, I definitely understand that, but you know, I just the, the barrage of injuries, the amount of young under control talent, the seemingly newfound opinion of the Willpons to spend a little bit, and the 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 still you know middle of the road or slightly below middle of the road farm system gives me far more hope. Than, than rationally looking back on two thousand and seven does. Right, I mean, like it, so. Coming off of that, you sort of,
0: to I think, maybe add on to your point a little bit. You, you know, Wright and Reyes had already graduated and developed into superstars. Um You know, this is a team, and. You know, I personally I'd like to see Walker and Cespedes both stick around Me too. next next year and uh and for the couple years after that. But you know, this is a team that say they come off whatever happens this season. The O seven and oh eight Mets didn't have a an Ahmed Rosario maybe knocking on the door. And there's right. no guarantee, you know, it might not go well, but man, <laughs> he's He's put himself on the map. I can't imagine by next July we're not at least considering whether or not he can come up. Right. Um, you know, and I, I've liked this Dribble Cabrera. That's not a slight on uh, him at all. But, you know, going into next season, I kind of hope that Rosario just keeps doing what he's been doing and, and comes up as a guy who nobody questions that he's going to stick at shortstop. So, right. Like that. That's not an issue. And man, like if you to have that kind of talent come up, I have to think Conforto has to be better than he's been this year, and to have Rosario to add two position players like that, and I'm not placing right and Reyes' expectations on the two of them because that's really, really, really setting the bar high. Yes, it is. So it's not it's not that, but you have the potential for two position players of significance to join the major league team. And, you know, the, the 07 and 08 teams were just on the wrong side of that cycle.
5: Absolutely. And, you know, while we don't know how much longer either Sandy Alderson or Terry Collins is going to be at the helm of their respective parts of the Mets, um, leadership, right. I feel much better with Alderson and the and the team that Alderson has constructed around him than I do Omar's system. And, you know, I, I might be about to praise Terry Collins here, so hold on to your butts, folks. Um, but I think I still would rather Terry Collins than either Billy Randolph or especially Jerry Manuel.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's I think that's completely fair.
5: Dan Warthen seems alright, you know. yeah, he's it's
0: funny, I remember I was at a game like before the good pitching era blossomed at the major league level. Um, there there was somebody in a Dan Worthen authentic jersey and Really? Yes. And I I remember I, I tweeted a photo of it and people were like oh there's got to be a relative or it something it has to be you know or just somebody like me who although I still haven't gone through with this and longtime listeners of the podcast would just hold me accountable and tell me I can't talk about it anymore until I actually do it but somebody like me who wants to buy the Manny Acosta game used jersey <laughs> like I'm not I'm not that unique there's other people out there that must see like oh that is a ridiculous jersey I'm gonna buy it um. But this was this was before there was even before the first Warthen slider had been thrown. Never mind when we started hearing about it and talking about it on Twitter, and Eno wrote about it, and you know it's it's now moved on. I think Eno writing about it sort of pushed it a little more into the the mainstream. Yeah. So back when that was still a thing that we didn't even refer to, that's when somebody had the Dan Worthen jersey.
5: But yeah, it turns out he might be okay. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Did Worthen directly replace Rick Peterson? Uh, As far as I remember, yes. So uh, there was that, that fateful road trip where Willie Randolph and Rick Peterson were let go, and Jerry Manuel and Dan Worthen ascended. That yeah. was the '09 season. Uh yes. <clears throat> Pretty sure, yeah. So Warthen's been the pitching coach since '09. Wow, that seems way longer than I thought. Yeah, yeah. Thanks to Baseball Reference, we
0: can we can double check this. And yeah, that is correct. Warthen took over. It was 2008 that Randolph was fired.
5: 2008. Holy shit! Wow.
0: Yeah, yeah. So Manuel gets bumped up from bench coach to manager. Uh Peterson's gone, and then Wartham comes in. I and mean, that, that overlap to me is, is strange in a lot of ways. And just looking at the bench coach history, <laughs> Dave Joust, do you remember that being a person? Was that just the end of the 08 season? No, it was 2010, the whole year. Dave who, Joust? Who the hell is that? J-A-U-S-S. <laughs> Oh, I, I vaguely
5: remember that now. I have no recollection of this person. All right, let's see. Hang on. So <laughs> Manuel was Randolph's bench coach. Right. Initially and cl- was Oberkfell Manuel's? So yeah, uh, wait, bench coach or? Bench coach, yeah. So yeah, Oberkfell came up when they fired Randolph. Right, so he became the bench coach when Manuel took over.
0: Right, but just for the rest of that season. Right, right. Then it was Sandy Alomar Sr. Okay, yes, I remember that. And then Jouse. Uh-huh. And then O'Burkfell came back for 2011. And I then forgot he was him. there for
5: 2011.
0: Yeah, and then they replaced him with Garen. Yeah. Um. But... Dave Jouse. Man, I like to think I know these things. I have no memory of this guy. I see a Google image of him in a Mets
5: uniform. <laughs> um, that was a 2010 Mets? Yeah. That was the right back year, right? Yeah, I think so.
0: Mets interviewing internal candidates Bob Melvin, Dave Jowes for managerial vacancy. That was written in the Daily News in, just after the 2010 season ended. And that would have been when they hired Collins. Right, yeah.
5: Yep. Yeah. Sorry, Dave Jass. Yeah. No love from Chris McShane. I, I recall remember, him fondly. I remember, the, no, first base coach, remember
0: <laughs> the first base coach that year was Razor Shines, which, to be fair, he had a huge advantage in his name yeah. memorability. Yeah. But uh, is that a word even? Memorability.
5: I don't know. I but, know what you mean. Yeah. Who could forget Razor Shines?
0: Right. So, yeah. Chip Hale
5: was the third base coach. He's yeah. a manager now. He is. Well, he may not be for long. Well, no. Um, That's true. What year was Ricky Henderson the first base coach?
0: Oh. Um, 07?
5: Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. that. So, just based on looking at the history here was that they i think they got rid of Rick Down as the hitting coach yes brought in Hojo and mm-hmm. then he had been the first base coach and then Ricky Henderson took that spot i believe so if i mean i'm all of those guys were involved that year i'm just re you know recreating the history based yeah. on the the baseball
5: reference format here cuz i was at spring training in 07 and I saw Ricky Henderson and I said, Hey Ricky, it's good to see you back with the Mets. And he said to me, Thanks, man. Ricky appreciates that. <laughs> this is the perfect Ricky Henderson encounter. Uh, yeah, that is uh that that's a pretty good baseball story you got there. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Short and sweet, but e- good. Exactly. Um oh, yeah. We could do a whole podcast on forgetting forgotten coaching coach members of the of the Mets in the aughts, and early uh, teens. Yeah. Yeah, there there are several of them. Yeah. And yet, somehow Dave Raconello is still the bullpen catcher.
0: Well, yeah. I know uh, Chris Majkowski gets the immortal name, but man, Racanello might be right up there.
5: <laughs> the rumor years ago was that he used to carry David Wright's PS2. Did you ever hear that? Uh, I don't think I specifically heard that, yeah, but like when when they would travel, his job was to make sure that David Wright's PS2 was on the flight. Nice. So I can
0: only imagine how competitive video games get on a professional athlete flight. Oh yeah, like there were there were wars in college with roommates over that, and you know we weren't
5: all a professional athlete build. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we had a we had an uh i forget what the exact m l b game was but for Dreamcast when i was in college and we had like a whole we had a whole league and my MLN friend would post uh like the 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 um the like standings outside of his room every morning update the standings we took it very seriously so i can only imagine how the, how seriously the Mets took it at that time
0: yeah oh yeah for me I think I remember most specifically the NHL series on p s two okay, and it was it was a like a sweet situation where there were five of us in a very small space, <laughs> yeah, and uh yeah, it got very serious. I don't think we ever had standings like we didn't we, we couldn't commit it to the league sort of format, but it was just you lost, you weren't on the PlayStation
5: anymore. oh no we had like we had very specific rules where you couldn't change the roster at all okay and so like you couldn't because there was no way to do a season with with eight different guys right that wasn't a thing yet right so you you had to just keep the stock roster but we developed like a 40 game season and made a schedule and all that and we had two different dreamcasts going in two different rooms but all the results were like compiled by the same guy it was it was very serious I kind of wish that we had gotten that serious because that sounds amazing. It was it was incredibly fun, and it was also incredibly frustrating. Um, yeah, uh, good times in the early 2000s. I, I think we've exhausted these topics for tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, well, let's go Mets.
4: Hey everyone, Steve Schreiber here, and it's time for your This Week in SNY Minute, here on Amazing Avenue Audio. Ever wonder what it's like to go inside Keith Hernandez's head? It's probably a very interesting place, a lot of uh, interesting memories, a lot of, uh, I can't imagine really what would be in there. Um, But we got a little sneak peek of his thought process uh, during Tuesday's game in Arizona, with Jake Lamb up, Keith said, "Barely able to get a piece of that fastball."
6: Lamb don't like that ball away. Shouldn't say don't. Doesn't. Excuse me.
0: Seems to reach for it, but flying out. He likes that ball middle end.
4: You can say don't, because he doesn't. <laughs> and you know, at twelve fifteen in the morning, you can say. Just about anything.
1: Yes. Hmm.
4: So part of Keith's own inner monologue is him correcting himself for grammatical errors. That's uh that's interesting. It's the side of Keith Hernandez, I, I never would have thought we'd seen. The mind of Keith Hernandez is quite a place. So that's all we've got here. This is Steve Schreiber for your This Week in SNY minute. Now back to Amazing Avenue Audio.
3: Hello, Mets fans. This is Aaron York from Amazing Avenue Audio. And today, I wanted to discuss the criticism that Terry Collins has drawn recently. And he's even said so himself that... The skipper has mismanaged, well, maybe not mismanaged, but he has overtaxed his bullpen to the point where he's got a lot of tired pitchers. He's used certain guys too much. He's relying too much on the bullpen and not enough on the starters. He has drawn a lot of criticism for the way he has managed the bullpen, whether you think he's mismanaged it or not. And just based on what I've been reading, a lot of you think he's been mismanaging it. And I agree that He hasn't been perfect, but the one thing that should be said is a team should use its best relief pitchers the most, and while we'd love for the Mets to have a bunch of relief pitchers that they can use to balance out the innings that they give to their best guys like Addison Reed and Juris Familia. The Mets haven't had that this year. They've tried to work other guys into the rotation. Antonio Bastardo has 43rd and two-thirds innings pitched, and he's been pretty bad for most of those. He's walked too many guys. He's been unreliable, giving up home runs. Then you have Jim Henderson, who, who hit the disabled list, was working in the minor leagues. Logan Verrett had to move into the rotation because of injuries. Eric Goodell just got sent down to make room for Henderson. He hasn't been completely terrible, but hasn't been great either. The point is that Terry Collins, in a season where the Mets are playing a lot of close games because they don't score many runs at all, he's had to protect a lot of close leads, and he just doesn't have a lot of guys to do it with. We know the Mets are still trying to protect their young starters. Noah Syndergaard is throwing a lot of pitches, especially lately, He's had more trouble putting guys away, he's walking more hitters, it's all led to higher pitch counts, so he's out in the sixth inning, and then you need to fill three innings where maybe in a DeGrom start you only need to fill two, and I'm just wondering about bullpen management because it's so hard to figure out how many innings is too much. We see starters throw 200 innings in a season, the Mets have three guys their are three best bullpen guys in Reed, Familia, and Hansel Robles hovering around 60, and they end up by the end of the season. Who knows? They could all have around 80 or so innings, and that's a lot, but not by a starter standard. So is it just that they're throwing on too many days? Is it important to have fewer appearances or fewer innings pitched? We all remember how Pedro Feliciano was burned out by the Mets because he was pitching every other day. Now, that didn't amount to a ton of innings. I believe he had fewer innings pitched than appearances because of the way he was a situational lefty, so maybe it's just the appearances are the bigger deal and not the innings pitched. Maybe instead of using Edison Reed in the 8th inning and then Familia in the ninth, maybe they should use Reed in the 8th and the ninth for two innings and then he'll get a, a break, and then Familia will pitch the 8th and the ninth another day. So I think that if the Mets really are burning out their pitchers, they should think of a creative way to hopefully lessen the burden on these guys. And one way that I know that Collins has mismanaged the bullpen is that Hansel Robles has about one more inning pitch than both Reed and Familia, and with the way he's pitched lately, he should have much a much lesser workload than those two guys because they've been more effective. The name of the game should be using your most effective pitchers in the most innings, but Hansel Robles has been the most used pitcher innings-wise, but not appearance-wise. So a little that of that's because he's pitching in less important situations. In situations, maybe he's mopping up a little more, but... We'll look at starting pitching. You always see your most effective guys are going to pitch the most innings, but with relievers, you always want to save that guy for the ninth inning. It's not essentially the most efficient use of resources that a team can accomplish. Maybe the Mets are using Familia a lot, but you can argue that maybe they should use him a little more and stretch him out a little more over and have more innings pitched, but fewer appearances. The point is that Robles shouldn't be the guy who has the most innings pitched out of the bullpen. He's got a great strikeout rate, but he has walked a better every other inning, and his whip is creeping up to 1.4, which is nowhere near you want for uh, a relief pitcher or any pitcher, really. And he's had just bouts of lo- completely losing control and giving up big hits, so when we talk about the Mets not managing the bullpen correctly, I don't think it's the innings pitched, the innings limits, or the amount of appearances that's necessarily that's necessarily the problem. I think they've been forced into that because the rest of the bullpen roster hasn't been great. There are few few reliable options. They've been playing in a lot of close games. There's fewer options to go to if the Mets want to not use Addison Reed in a close ace to eighth inning game, they could lose by using Eric Goodell instead, and you don't want that to happen either. The bigger deal is the fact that a guy like Robles has more innings pitched than Reed and has more innings pitched than Familia. So maybe in the future, I know everything in baseball to be set in stone, but maybe they work on giving these guys fewer, pin, uh, fewer appearances, more innings pitched per appearance, and maybe that's a better way to go about this bullpen situation, it's hard for Terry Collins to manage the bullpen when he's only got three really good relievers, and guys like Noah Syndergaard aren't going deep into games, plus we know Seth Lugo, and now it's gonna be Robert Gazelman because we know that John Neese might not pitch for the rest of the year now, it's just announced, as I'm recording this, on a Wednesday night, so, there's going to be two rookies in the, in the rotation that aren't, also aren't going to be counted on to throw a lot of innings, only going to make things harder on Collins and the bullpen management. So, hopefully the Mets get creative down the stretch so they don't mess up these guys' arms. This has been Aaron York for Amazing Avenue Audio.
1: We
5: are thrilled to welcome back to the show Greg Caram and Steve Saipa who are going to talk to us a little bit about some Mets in the minor leagues.
1: Hey Mets fans, this is your old friends Greg Carm and Steve Saipa. Uh, we're here to talk some prospects with you. Kind uh, of bring a little little prospect flavor to the podcast. And uh, to to get us started, uh, well first of all, Steve, how you doing?
6: I'm doing good, How how's everything with you? <laughs>
1: Uh pretty good, pretty good hanging in there uh not been on the podcast in a while when when was the last time you were on the podcast uh probably the the
6: draft i'm gonna say oh, so early okay. June a
1: yeah. couple months well, hopefully our listeners still remember us and uh so we're gonna talk some prospects um, why don't you get us started we we uh, give us a rundown of how the affiliates have been doing lately really.
6: all right, so well, let's start at the top I guess with the las Vegas fifty ones uh the last calendar week they are three and four which isn't the best and that's gonna be a recurring theme here not being the best <laughs> uh, the their record right now stands at a 60 and 68 which puts them at third in the division and seven and a half games behind the El Paso Chihuahuas okay. uh, next let's look at Binghamton they are five and three in the past week which is a little better um, but their record is not their record is 58. And sixty seven, uh, which puts them fifth in the division and a whopping twenty four games behind the fight and fills. All so right. playoffs are not looking good for Binghamton. Saint Lucie, uh Saint Lucie Mets, they were four and four this week. And their record in the second half is thirty and twenty five, which puts them in first place in the division. But uh they only have a half game lead over the Jupiter Hammerheads, so it's it's still a tight race down there. Okay. The Columbia Fireflies were 4 and 3 this week, but their overall record in the second half is 21 and 34, putting them last in the division and 12 and a half games behind the Augusta Green Jackets. <laughs> Brooklyn uh, they had the All-Star break earlier in the week, so they're only 2 and 3 for the week. Okay. Um, and their record for the season is a 31 and 29, which puts them in third place. And six games behind the first-place Hudson Valley Renegades, Kingsport uh, did not have a good week. They're one and five, and they're not having a good season either, with a nineteen and thirty-seven record, which puts them in last place, fourteen games behind the Johnson City Cardinals. And the GCL, whatever. I'm not oh, even I, gonna. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I, and I should I should note that this is as of uh, Sunday the twenty-first. So I, the theme is that it hasn't been going well for the system. It's not a great system anymore. Um you know, the past couple of years they've had some some solid teams because they've had some solid prospects and they've also they've got some hired hands in there too, but um not so much this year. And uh but but there are some bright spots and that's what we're here to talk about. Um and we're going to talk about the Brooklyn rotation which is actually one of the more exciting rotations that have come through there. Maybe since uh, the Sessa you know, uh, um, Hansel Robles uh, t- team of like 2012-ish, I think. I yeah. say. Uh, so there's some exciting arms there. And, and you were out there and you saw... Um, you, you've seen Dunn twice and you saw him just recently last week. So uh, why don't you tell us about Dunn and, and what he's got going on there. Um, well... I've kind of
6: implied in the past that I'm not entirely impressed, and uh, seeing him last week, nothing has really changed. Uh, his fastball sat 89-95. Uh, to 95. Um, It was more in the low to mid-90s as the game started, but you could visibly in his three innings, you could visibly see him tiring and the fastball getting less and less life on it. Mm-hmm. His slider was 80-88. to 88. Um... It had good movement. The only thing that was really uh, changing as he as he went on was the velocity of the pitch. And he threw a changeup. I think it was a changeup. It could have just been a uh, you know dead slider, but you know the, again, it just was a pitch. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, so um, we should we should caveat uh, that he's been pitching for six months, right? So. There could be some some tired arm involved in, that, in all this, but um, you know it's it's a little uh, he, and he was a college reliever for most of his career, so that durability issue is going to be something to, to watch going forward. But um, yeah, not not you know a little disappointing uh, to hear that you're not into him. It's the thing is
6: that at like I've mentioned during our draft podcast at the nineteenth pick. First round, uh I want someone who's a bit more polished. Especially as a college pitcher who's you know, college pitchers are supposed to be, you know, near finished products. Dunn is there's just too many questions really, given his background as a reliever until uh March or April I think it was this, this year. I mean he's I don't remember offhand, but I think it was that he pitched at most seven innings in a game, you know, 90 pitches once or twice during his time at Boston College. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's to me, it's, you know, the stuff is the stuff is decent, you know, when as a reliever he's hit, you know, as high as 99, which is very good, obviously. But as a starter, he doesn't throw as hard to preserve his energy, at least right now. The down, you know, the the upside is there. At at worst, maybe he's a late innings reliever. You know, if if the starting thing doesn't work out for him, which is not a bad result, you know. But yeah, yeah if we are drafting relievers in the first round, which is not a good idea to begin with, I, you know, there are better people <laughs> better available people to
1: have gotten. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, look, we'll keep an eye on him. I'm sure he's going to be in the mix next year at the full season level. Um. And hopefully hopefully, it's just a tired arm and, and an offseason with the team and a spring training with the team will put him on the right path and uh, turn Steve's opinion around but there's other arms to be excited about and obviously well the most obvious arm is uh, Thomas DePucky he has thrown himself onto the map, he was a 5th round pick from 2014 I believe and uh made 58. his debut 2015 mm-hmm. i'm getting my ears mixed up yeah last year so anyway so he made his debut this year for kingsport and uh, laid waste to the to the league he struck out <laughs> over 40 percent of batters which led to his promotion to uh brooklyn where steve and i have both seen him um he's all, still striking out over 40 percent of batters a little bit wild but uh, he throws. He's touched 97. I've seen him touch 97. He sits in the low. To, well, he sits in the mid 90s, really. Um, but it's it's 91 to 97. He's got. I I think a very good uh, curveball already. Uh, I liked, I liked it a lot. Um, he was able to break it in for strikes. Uh, missed some bats, and the changeup is firm and it's got some work, some ways to go. Um, but I you, you can just see the the makings of a really nice prospect there and uh, Steve, what do you think?
6: I mean, I know Jeff has jokingly said elsewhere that uh, a comparison for Safuki would be Alva Perez. <laughs> and you know having I saw him uh, you know a couple of weeks ago in person and you know I, I can see that with you know the how Perez sometimes drops so sidearm, and Sabaki throws very uh, you know a funky kind of sidearm delivery how the command is kind of effectively wild at times mm-hmm. all of the strikeouts kind of loses his crispness a little
1: bit you know out of the stretch yep yep but you know you got the makings there of just somebody to get really excited about I mean you're talking at this point you're probably talking a top three prospect in the system what do you think um, yeah, I mean... I mean, Ahmed Rosario, you're going to put ahead of him. And... Uh, maybe, I don't know, Smith, if you like Smith, or, you know, I don't know I don't know who you're going to put ahead of him, really. Just based on ceiling. I mean, he's got a very high ceiling at this point. And I mean, compared to everyone else in the system, there's really just not that many guys with that kind of ceiling.
6: Even yeah. if we did have a good... even if we did have better depth in the system, he would definitely, at this point, be in the top ten, you know. Oh, it's yeah. not really. It's not really just a product of the system being so so bare bones that Spucky would be ranked so high.
1: Right. I mean, we have a we have a friend who is con- in control of a prospect list at a major website now, and he's going to push for him to be in the top hundred. Uh, so you're probably looking at a top hundred prospect there, and so that's always exciting. Um, so there's a couple other arms. You know, we got Harold Gonzalez is having a great year. Miranda Gonzalez is is. Having a decent year but and, and may actually be the better prospect. Um, we had Nabil Krismat, who actually has been promoted to Columbia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gabriel Giannis, eh, And uh, Eric Manoa, eh. So, you know, of the, of the remaining arms, because we're running out of time here, what, uh, which one are you most excited about?
6: I mean, in terms of excitement, Harold. Gonzalez, in terms of like you said, being the better prospect, I think Randy has, uh, you know, more fastball velocity, yeah, and a better, um, like a curve better breaking ball. But Harold's just—he has that swagger about him. I, you know, yeah. he just has that it.
1: Yeah, he's got—he's got that little mini Pedro thing going on, and yeah. it's just—and Harold is—he's not—he's, you know, I'm five ten, and he's taller than I am, so he might be a legitimate. Five eleven, six foot, um, and he might be able to—he might be able to add some velocity there. And, and if he is able to sit in the low nineties, I think that's the making of you know, a pretty solid prospect there.
6: Yeah, I mean, he's in the, the, the when I, I saw him on um, opening day for Staten Island when he was pitching, and I stole some readings of a radar gun, and uh, most I saw was uh, you know he touched ninety three a few times. He's really sitting you know 90 91 but I mean if he can more consistently reach 93 if he can be instead of you know 88 to 93 pitcher if he can be a a 91 to 93 pitcher I think really that makes world of a difference I
1: don't disagree with you all right Steve well uh, we had a good talk Uh, we'll be back next week and that's all the time we have for this week so um, we'll see you Yep.
2: said that I was done with the Mets, that I'd given up on the season, they were done, they weren't going to make it, the playoffs were a pipe dream, and we were just going to ride out the rest of the year. It is now Wednesday, and the Mets are three and a half games out of the wild card. They have to jump Pittsburgh, who they're a half game behind, and Miami, who they're two games behind. San Francisco has not looked great lately, St. Louis is still iffy, and the Mets are just still there. And I said this last week that I'm going to be saying for the rest of the season that they're hanging in there. And I thought I I thought I thought ruined that because they looked terrible at the end of last week. But here we are. And they took 2-4 from San Francisco. They took the first game from the Cardinals. And they look like they're competitive. And I just don't know if it's a terrible tease and they're just going to do this to us again. Because... Matt's had his skip start, and he's now on the DL, and he might come back this season. They say he's only going to miss the one start, but it's the Mets, so who in the world knows if that's even accurate? We had Johnny's start a literally, he threw one out last night before he landed on the DL, but then Robert Gesellman looked completely fine. He looked good. I think he was hyped up a bit to me, but just because I know people who really like him. But he looked good. He looked way better than John Neese was ever going to look. So that's a start. And I just don't know what to do about this team. I just, I mean, they're there. They're right there. Tonight, they could jump Pittsburgh. They could jump Miami in a few days. They're so close, and it's not unreasonable. But I think I have as much faith in them making it as I do in them being 15 out come October. I really don't know. I don't know what to expect from this team. And I also don't like surprises. So, in summary, I just hate the match.
5: That does it for another installment of Amazing Avenue audio. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, October 1st live show, noon, Manhattan. We're going to do this, it's going to be fun. I promise. Until then, you can, of course, go to amazonavenue.com where you can find all sorts of Mets news and information, as well as this fine podcast. You can find us on all sorts of relevant social media as well Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at amazing avenue you can follow all of our contributors on twitter i am at brian needs a nap chris is at chris mcshane steve is at underscore mr met steve saipa is at steve saipa greg karam is at greg karam kate is at kate e feldman and aaron is at apy5000 you can of course. Tune in each and every week to listen to the show. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Check it out directly from blogtalkradio.com or listen on the Stitcher app. Well, guys, I say this every week, but this is an important week for the Mets. Let's hope that they can turn around the series in uh, St. Louis and win it. And um, have a good weekend. So until next time, let's go Mets.